Hey, No Read Athlete Radio listeners, this is Matt Frazier, joined by Doug Hay, and we've got another exciting episode for you today. We sure do. <laughs> I mean, they're all exciting. Yeah. They're really exciting to make. They are. <laughs> Thrilling. <laughs> Tons of fun. <laughs> no, they actually are. We have a good time. Um, so today's guest, today we have an interview. His, his name is Gene Bauer. I'm sure you have heard of him. He's actually been a guest on No Read Athlete Radio before. Mm. Um, I think it was about maybe a year and a half ago. Uh, so not not all that long, um, certainly in the Doug Hay era of the Nomadathic Radio, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Um, so anyway, he's got a new book out. It's called Living the Farm Sanctuary Life. Uh, he's the co-founder of Farm Sanctuary, which is a favorite charity of of Nomadathic and of the Fraser family. Uh, we're big on adopting the animals there and uh, putting their pictures up on our refrigerators for our kids to look at, hmm. uh, which is fun. That, that's how they. I think we've mentioned this before recently on the podcast, but if you if you donate to them, one of the ways to do that is to adopt an animal. And I don't know if that actually means your money goes to that animal. I think it really doesn't. But, uh, I mean, it still goes to good stuff. I don't think, I don't know if it specifically goes to that animal. Right. Because um, that'd be weird. Like, what if one animal was getting all the good treatment and <laughs> the others just weren't getting anything? Um, but anyway, we like it. It's nice because you get a little package in the mail with, with all these facts about their favorite foods and where they were rescued from and their pictures. So it's really good for kids. I like them because what they do is sort of – it's kind of hard to argue with it. I mean they, they're rescuing animals from bad situations like that are – you know fall off a truck or something when they're being transported, and they'll rescue them and then let them live out their life. So it's just – it's kind of an easy thing to support. It uh, doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't seem to ruffle – Uncontroversial. Yeah, it doesn't ruffle feathers of, of readers, and, and it seems that whatever charity you do support, uh, somebody doesn't like that particular charity. But I, I don't know. It just, it's just one that I really like. It seems to stay out of the, the politics and – uh, that's wrong. They don't stay out of the, They do plenty of polit- political type stuff, I think. But uh, they just, it's just one that's easy to support that I like doing. So, mm-hmm. um, anyway. Gene's a great guy. He's a really great guy. And he's an athlete, too. He's He was a mm-hmm. runner for a while. He showed up to talk sort of unexpectedly, really, except for the night before, at the No Meat Athlete uh, event that we did in D.C. when we had we had a running group that ran a race in D.C. It was actually the first time that we worked together, Doug. You helped us yep. organize that. And uh, it turned out that Gene was running that as his first marathon, and at like the last minute, he he agreed to come talk to our group, which was really cool. That was very cool. And, uh, and, and then, then he crushed the marathon too. He did. He I think he beat our entire group, uh, <laughs> including me and you. He I think uh-huh. he ran three thirty or something, qualified for Boston. Um, and then since then, I think it, like I don't know a year later or something, he ran. He did an Ironman. Hmm. He may have even done another one. Now. I'm not positive about that, but he's uh, he's been interested in ultra marathons since then. He hasn't dumb one i don't think but i know he's interested in it and uh maybe even 100 miler i think uh oh. yeah and he he's just a big supporter he wears wears his nomad athlete shirt i happen to see him it seems at a lot of events uh if i'm there even just tabling he comes by and buys a shirt and and wears it and always sends photos of himself wearing a nomad athlete shirt so just i don't know very very cool guy uh someone that that we like a lot and uh good to talk to him and he's, he's got a new book out now it's called living the farm sanctuary life uh, I looked through uh, an advanced copy of it before I interviewed him, and it's a lot of stuff about about just like the the arguments for going vegan. It's not super like it doesn't get caught up in ethical arguments as much as just like I don't know promoting this this really feel good life of of being good to animals, 
Uh, talks about the ways that animals can enhance human lives. Um, lots of like just, you know, vegan stuff, protein sources, uh, a bunch of recipes. There's some stuff from Rich Roll there and many, many other vegan authors and, and chefs. Uh, so just, just a good general kind of, and really beautiful book, like pictures on almost every page, kind of a coffee table style book. Hmm. So anyway, we talk about that in the interview and, uh, just some, some general other questions I have. But uh, let's, before we get to that, let's let's knock out one of these questions that we have in the the no meat athlete uh, inbox. Who's our inbox sponsor that we that we pretend is our sponsor? Subway. Subway. <laughs> in the Subway no meat athlete radio inbox. <laughs> um, so we've got one in there. I know we've got two in there. We'll get to one in our next episode. Um, so person who submitted the other one, you know who you are. We'll get to you next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's go ahead and run this one really quick, and then we'll answer it. All right. Hey guys, this is Damon. I'm in San Diego. I love the podcast, by the way. Getting ready to do an Ironman in Lake Tahoe later this year. I'm wondering what's the best way, living at sea level uh, like I do, to prepare for the altitude with all the uh, endurance sports? And also, what your thoughts are on for vegan supplements uh, for strength training for endurance? Thanks, guys. All right, great questions, Damon in San Diego. Uh, I think Doug is probably better equipped to answer your first question. Uh, my my answer, first I was going to say run on bridges, but that's not the answer you're looking for. That's the answer to the question of how do I train <laughs> when it's really flat? How do I get some hill work in? Right. Uh, and actually, it's funny. I did that with the Miami group this, this past, uh, I don't know what it was, Saturday after the cruise. You ran bridges? We ran like their, their big bridge that they do for hill, mm. hill workouts. Uh, and it was, it was a nice long hill. It wasn't, it wasn't a steep hill, mm-hmm. but uh, it was a long hill and not... I don't know. I'm glad I've actually done that now because I always tell people to do it. So now I know yeah. what it's like. But anyway, what do you think? Oh, and my other answer to that was buy one of those uh, masks that, that was on Kickstarter and some mm-hmm. other campaign last year that I've seen somebody wear in our gym and it just looks ridiculous. It looks like a ski mask type device or like combination between that and a gas mask and uh, supposedly limits you know limits oxygen to mimic high altitude training. But I know, Doug, you don't think that's that's quite the best thing you could do, right? Yeah, I haven't. I haven't heard um, that those really work. In fact, I've heard that they, they don't work very well. So there are those masks that, that limit the amount of oxygen you're able to take in. Uh, but but really, there's not a whole lot you can do, aside from if you slept in one of those altitude chambers that's like a tent that you can put over your bed. I think they're several thousand dollars and, and probably not worth it um, for one race, unless you were doing it a lot. But you know, really, I think the key is to get in as peak of fitness as possible because basically you'll just be putting your body through a strain that it's not used to. So the higher level of fitness that you have, the better you'll be able to um, kind of address that additional strain. And then there are strategies of, they say that day three is kind of your worst day at altitude when, when the altitude sickness really starts to set in. So either arrive the day before the race so that you haven't quite um, your body hasn't started to adjust to it yet or arrive a week or 10 days so that your body can really adjust and take the time to do so. So there's kind of different strategies and when you arrive. And then I've had, when I, when I went out to Colorado last summer and we were doing a bunch of high altitude running, um, I used something called uh, Ginkgo Bilbo. Bil- yeah, I always thought it was Ginkgo Biloba. Ginkgo, Ginkgo Biloba, yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to say it, but... Um, it's just like a, like an herb, I yeah. guess. Um, and, and I took it, I just had read that it was a natural way to, uh, to, for your body and it just aided altitude recovery, I guess. And, uh, just took a couple every day while I was out there and really didn't have too much trouble. I definitely had some 
trouble, but not more just, you know, from being at 12,000 feet, you're going to have a lot of trouble breathing. Um, so, I mean, those are kind of some strategies I would take. You can definitely get altitude sickness pills, but I don't think they give those to you until you're actually sick. Right. So, right. Um, well, good segue into his next question about supplements. Um, and actually, that, that ginkgo biloba, however you say it, um, is something I used to take that for because I read that it helped your memory or something. And when mm-hmm. I was in grad school and I was reading a lot of books, I thought maybe I'd do that. Yeah. Um, I got pulled over by a cop once and I had the pills of it. They're, they're, <laughs> they just look like ground up green powder, at least the ones I did. Yeah. And then yeah. these clear castles they had and they were like in my, uh, I don't know, in the dashboard, that, that thing in front of your gear shift with this little spot. Yeah. And I had some pills there and the cop uh, pulled me over and, and then... He was like, okay, and without touching them, please identify what those green pills without are. Without touching can... them? I guess because he didn't, I guess you could make a quick move and conceal, try to conceal something or throw it out the window. Oh, I don't know. Funny. Did he but, believe you? Yeah, he, he seemed to. He didn't. And like, didn't you have go any... below my shirt. Sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did not have any problem with that, but who knows. Um, anyway, supplements for endurance training. I think this is a, a question that you can get a lot of different answers to. Uh, I, I mean, I think. First of all, B12, obviously, for all vegans is, is one that I would recommend. Of course, there are some who, who will argue that you can get B12 from dirty produce and you know eating some dirt and things like that. Uh, but I think it's best, safest, just to take it. I heard some interesting things about B12, actually, on this cruise, that uh, if you were in like the, the lower third of what was considered the acceptable range, there were still some pretty some long-term studies that showed that some pretty bad side effects from that. I don't know if it was, it was just general risk of mortality or, or what it was, but, um, you know, I went to this naturopath we talked about in the last, oh, yeah? uh, in the last episode uh-huh. and I, I haven't taken any supplements and I started going vegan and just, uh, decided that my body would let me know if I needed to start doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turns out I should have been cause I was kind of deficient in several things, mm. but, uh, B12 was, was one of them. And, uh, I was way down, like in the oh, yeah? bottom ten percent or uh-huh. something, and and he there was really go. concerned about that. Huh? So interesting. Mm-hmm. What what were the other ones you were deficient in? Um, well, <laughs> protein. No, no, no. <laughs> protein wasn't one of them, <laughs> and uh, iron wasn't one of them. Uh, which those were the two that I was really, or not two that I was concerned about. But yeah. iron was one of the ones I was concerned about. Um, you know, vitamin D, which didn't have anything to do with what we're eating, and um, it could a little bit zinc. Yeah, also oh, a common that, one mm-hmm. for vegans. So zinc was an issue, and then B12. Iodine? Iodine was not an issue. No? Okay. Mm. Good. Um, yeah, so actually, so that, Damon, that kind of it sort of answers some of myself. I mean, if you're vegan and you're training hard and you're you're putting your body through a lot and you're asking it to then recover quickly, uh, you don't want to be deficient in anything. Even if it's not a deficiency that's going to end you up in the hospital, uh, you want to give your body everything it possibly can. So I think that's a pretty good argument for taking a multivitamin. Uh, I've mentioned several times that I'm a big fan of Dr. Furman's stuff. Uh, not yet an affiliate or anything for them, so this is not earning me any money by giving you this suggestion. But um, <laughs> he, I, I take his multivitamin because I've read his books, and he, he's mentioned four or five things, uh, among them B12, zinc, vitamin D, uh, also iodine, which is something that people – because a lot of vegans tend to stop using table salt, this get into healthy eating. Mm. Table salt is one of our biggest sources of iodine because it's fortified with it. Uh, dairy products are another one because it's thought the cleaning solutions or whatever that they use on the equipment, uh, I mean, that has iodine, so it's thought that the dairy products pick it up mm. from there. Um, 
So it turns out, though, if you're vegan and you're not using uh, regular salt, you're using one of those sea salts that has the warning on it that says this salt does not contain iodine, an essential nutrient hmm. or whatever, um, then you can be low on that. So, you know, there's just five or six things that it seems that you should probably watch out for. Omega-3 is probably another one. Uh, certain types of ALA is no problem, but but to convert ALA into the other forms can only happen in, in certain amounts, and it's hard to hard to do. So that's that's topic for another thing. But uh, anyway... So I take this multivitamin. I think overdosing—that's not the right word—but taking too large a dose of multivitamins uh, is just as bad, maybe worse than not having them at all. So what I like about his stuff is that he, he kind of keeps a really close eye on that and doesn't give you mega doses. It's really normal amount. So I think that's a good argument. I suggest take take a multivitamin like that, one that is designed by someone who you trust and is especially specifically fortified for vegans. I think it's a good idea. Um, other than that, I mean. Protein, yeah, that counts as supplementation. I think it might have a use for endurance training. It, it didn't seem to impact me when I stopped taking it, but I wasn't doing high intensity. I was training for my 100, and I was uh, putting in lots of miles, but not, none of it was hard. So I don't really know for sure, and it depends also on your lifestyle and what else you're eating. Uh, I don't think a protein supplement is a bad idea. I just think it's unnecessary for, for most people. Uh, oil, I mean, Scott Jerk's a huge fan of, of the Udo's oil blend. In our last episode, we talked a lot about not having oil and people like Mike Arnstein, fruitarian people, they don't, they don't use any of that and very, very low fat. So it seems that oil works really well for some people and, and is, is not needed for others. Um, you know, if, if you're putting in lots and lots of miles, maybe, maybe go for it. But Mike Arnstein puts in as many miles as anybody else. And he, he does none, uh, Mm -hmm. doesn't prove anything of course that one person can do something, but I don't know. So, I mean, those, those are things to consider. Those are things I've certainly done a lot of in my day, use those, uh, creatine is one that is interesting to me because of what it can do for your strength. I don't know if it's great for endurance training because it just it forces you to retain a lot of weight and and mass. Uh, so maybe not that valuable. I've I found it when I whenever I go on creatine, uh, it really does help me bulk up very quickly, and I think it's a pretty effective supplement. And one that seems to be safe. I think there's certainly a lot of argument about that, uh, but I, I wouldn't take it if I didn't think it was. And I, I've looked. And can't can't find many many benefits of it. And there's also the side effect. Speaking of uh, the memory improvements, that there's been at least one study, maybe more, showing that when vegetarians or vegans take creatine, they uh, they get smarter. They perform better on intelligence tests and things like that. Hmm. Which is not a reason to take it for sure, because you know who knows what else it might be doing. But uh, are we are we dumber than meat eaters? Well, that's that's another good question. I've, I've never seen a study comparing. Uh, you would think that same study might have had that comparison in there but i don't know i think the argument for it is that uh creatine is i believe almost entirely found in meat not not other things right your body can can make some small amount and i hope i'm not saying anything i'm saying here you should you should confirm with the second story because this, <laughs> this is not something i've read a lot about or or know for sure the no me athlete podcast is the end of vr we, yeah, everything we right. say here is anything <laughs> we say should be trusted without any other mm-hmm. sources yep. um but i think your body makes some amount of it uh, just like animals' bodies do, and if you don't eat meat, then you're you're getting much less than someone else. And I don't know. It seems that it seems that you can. <laughs> I guess that's an argument. It's one thing that you're getting less of when you don't eat meat, and mm-hmm. and if you there aren't that many other ways to get it other than to just take it. So I don't know. It seems to help me with strength and and mass, but mass might not be something that you want. And I don't think it's something you should be on for a long period of time. I, I, I do it for a month or two at a time if I feel like I want to bulk up for a little while, uh, along with weightlifting, of course. You can't really bulk up very well without that. 
but I don't know. I haven't really heard of any endurance athletes saying that it is, is something they swear by or anything, so I have a feeling that it's not that useful. Um, other than that, I don't know. I, I would stay away from the branch chain, branch, branch chain amino acids, like supplements and things. Like that. I just Protein, I think, is something most people get way too much of, and uh, I, I wouldn't want to do anything. And protein, you know, not getting the animal protein is one of the big health arguments for a plant-based diet. So I wouldn't want anything that, that, and you can apparently, like if you take certain processed soy proteins, according to Dr. Furman, they can kind of start to, and again, I don't know at all the technical side of this, but, but can sort of act a lot like those animal proteins that we are trying to avoid, Mm. um, and, and potentially cause, cause cancers and things like that. What's your favorite protein? Like, uh, as, as far as a powder goes, um, like a pea protein or soy protein, well, if you if you blend, yeah, uh, blend if you blend hemp, rice, and pea, then you get the complete amino acid profile. Okay. So you get you get all the essential amino acids, the one that your body can't make on its own. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, I think that's a pretty smart thing to do. But if you can't afford that, uh, and there, that that one, I think it's on our gear page. It's called Lifetime Life Basics or something. Yeah. That was always a pretty affordable form of of getting that blend. blend yeah. uh, but other than that, I just used to use hemp protein, which is very simple. Tastes kind of earthy and green, mm-hmm. but uh, it works. It doesn't pack a lot of protein, but I like that one because it's very, very close to a whole food form. It's not an isolate. As far as I know, I think they just press the oil out and then dry these seeds and then grind them up. Mm-hmm. So it's not an efficient source of protein because you're getting fiber and some carbohydrate and stuff in there too. But uh, it's just it's pretty close to a whole food and it still packs some protein. Yeah. Uh, so I, I like that one. But... Um, I don't know. Any other supplement? I, I don't think so. I, I would say a multivitamin. Oh, omega-3s, I think, are, are an important one. So I take one. I don't want to get into the whole thing why, but uh, the, the super fast answer is that there are, there are three main types of omega-3. Uh, maybe there are more, but there are three that I know of that are commonly talked about, ALA, EPA, and DHA. And you can you can get plenty of ALA from plant-based sources like walnuts, uh, and your body can convert those into the other forms but it can only do so much, apparently. So, you, so the DHA and EPA are not that easy to, to get or, or convert from ALA. So those, I take a little supplement. It's like 0.75 milliliters in my smoothie each morning. Very small little amount of, of this. It's kind of like oily stuff. I assume it's just fats. Um, so I, I would I say that in a multivitamin. That's what I personally take most almost all the time is, is the Dr. Furman multivitamin and the Dr. Furman EPA DHA thing. So, cool. So I, I think that's that keeps you safe. Um, I don't know much about performance boosting stuff. I mean, I think there's probably tons of stuff out there mm-hmm. that wouldn't be good in the long term, but could help you with your fitness goals in the short term. Uh, I, I just wouldn't do it. Yeah, and we do. Um, we link to all those things: the Dr. Furman things and the uh, protein powder blend. We link to all that on our gear page, which that's is nomadathlete.com/gear. Gear, and that's up on that page. So I, I misspoke, I guess, about the Dr. Furman thing. Yeah. If you go through that page and you click on the Dr. Furman stuff. Uh, that that does earn me some commission. I don't know what it is, mm-hmm. but um, but yeah. If you sorry, I, I forgot about that. If, if you just go right to the page, it, it avoids that. If you don't want to give us money, mm-hmm. <laughs> but but the things that you well, there are only a couple things on there uh, on that gear page, and that's because those are the ones you actually use. So. Right, correct. Don't put things on there that I don't use. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So that answers that. Um, let's get to the Gene Bauer interview. I don't think we need to talk about much else. All right. right. Sounds great. All right. All right. I'm here with Gene Bauer, 
co-founder, I believe, of Farm Sanctuary and author of the new book coming out on April 7th, Living the Farm Sanctuary Life. Gene, thank you for joining us a second time on this podcast. Absolutely. Love being with you guys. So uh, I want to I want to get into your book for sure. Um, I've, I've looked through the, the, the PDF copy that I have because it's not out yet, but I looked through and uh, I, I really like it. it. It's a very cool book. It, it seems beautifully done, uh, almost like a coffee table kind of book with so many pictures. Uh, but first, before we get into that, I just wanted to touch on your uh, your accomplishments as an athlete. Because I think you know, every time I talk to you, it's it's slightly more uh, about the ethical side of things, just but nature of what you do. Um, and and I like talking to you about that kind of stuff because I think I think you come at it from an angle that I can get behind, which is really what makes Farm Sanctuary one of my one of my favorites. In fact, my favorite, the, the charity that we always use when we are going to donate something. Um, so. I want to talk about that, but the but the athlete side of it is, I think, will probably come as a surprise to a lot of people who aren't familiar with you. Um, what was it? I don't know. I guess your first marathon was the the day we did a no meet athlete uh, group in DC back in 2012, and then last time I talked to you, you had done your first tri- your first Ironman, which was like I don't know a year or two after that, right? That's right. Yes, I've been a runner for a long time and played a lot of ultimate frisbee and done things like that, but I never really trained or seriously planned for doing a marathon. So that's right. The first marathon I ran, we actually ran part of that together. And <laughs> until, then, you, until you left me behind. I think you ended up with a – you qualified for Boston, right, that first time? I did. I qualified for awesome. Boston, and, and I ran Boston, in fact, uh, a year or so ago. Oh, I didn't and, know that. Okay. Yeah, I did. I did Boston. And my next marathon is going to probably be the New York City Marathon at the end of this year. But a couple of years ago in 2013, I did an Ironman triathlon. And that was really a great goal to have and to train and to do it. So it was a really, you know, it's been really uh, inspiring. And it's I've enjoyed pushing myself and then achieving these goals. And, and you also, I think not long ago, did a 100 miler. Is that right? I did, yeah. That was uh, that was 2013. So wow, that's incredible, man. Yeah. So what about you? Are you do you have plans to do any anything longer or any uh, another Ironman or what's what's? Well, I might do, I might do a 50k. <laughs> okay, good. So that would make me an ultra. But that's a gateway until you know. It is then a gateway. Yep. That's right. I I don't know. You know, I have this book coming out, and I think the next uh, this coming year is going to be very much focused on the book. So. My ability to get out and train seriously is going to, I think, be limited. Right. Um, so, so, so I don't really have any big races coming up, and and the only thing on my calendar right now is the New York City Marathon. Cool. Well, well, stick with it. Keep doing stuff because I think it's I think it's a, such a fantastic example. Uh, when when people, everyone knows you as Gene Bauer, the Farm Sanctuary guy, and I think people are floored when they when they find out that you do not just marathons but have done an Ironman so I think doing that stuff as you know of course is is tremendously inspiring and helpful to uh your and our cause so keep it up absolutely I will do that and you know I think you know as you say it is inspiring and it also sets an example that as vegans and plant-based eaters we can do these athletic feats and you know I've been a vegan since 1985 and I'm now in my 50s so just started doing this and uh my first one I think was like my like 48 49 something like that and mm-hmm. uh I can I plan to do this for a, a number of years yet to come good all right Okay, so let's talk about the book some. Um, it's called Living the Farm Sanctuary Life, and the subtitle is the uh, – I can barely read it. Uh, the Ultimate Guide to 
Sorry about this. E- eating mindfully, <laughs> living longer, and feeling better every day. There we go. Okay, so I my excuse here is that I'm looking at your your Skype profile photo, so I'm trying to read it on super <laughs> small print. Um, but I actually did look at this ahead of time, and I, I was struck by the living longer part. That's the part I actually wrote down that I wanted to to ask you about um, because I've been kind of focused on that uh, recently. Just just that idea of of longevity. Now that I'm starting to feel older, I've got two kids. I'm going to be 35 next year. Uh, just just starting to think about that sort of thing, and uh, read read that book, The Blue Zones, recently, which was yes. really really interesting, um, and and very uh, very you know praising of a plant based diet. It seemed to be even though most of these cultures weren't entirely hundred percent plant based, eating a largely plant based diet uh, seems to be one of the big factors. So that's what I wanted to ask you about first. Um, the living longer thing. I'm just wondering, like, what where are you coming from with with living longer? Is it uh, is it based on data or or are you just i mean is it just in general you've seen seen the link of plant-based diet to uh to longevity well you know as you mentioned the blue zones talks about how plant-based eating can improve our longevity and um you know there's more and more research coming out all the time showing that plant foods improve our health and and animal-based foods especially in the quantities we eat them in the u.s are threatening to our health and and can cause fatalities. You know, heart disease and cancer are the leading causes of death, and the risks of both can be lessened uh, by eating a whole foods, plant-based diet. So, um, you know, living longer is part of it, but living better and living well is also part of it. You know, mm-hmm. we, we've, you know, through medical science, come up with ways to keep people alive um, on all kinds of apparatus and medications. But in some cases, those long lives are not necessarily uh, that pleasant. And so it's, it's living longer and feeling better as well. I think both of those things go together. And eating a plant-based diet uh, is, I think, what we are best suited for biologically. It, it provides us all the nutrients we need uh, to be able to thrive and you know keeps our blood flowing cleanly and so our brains don't end up being deprived of oxygen and so our brains are able to function better for a longer period of time uh, along with the rest of our bodies and our, our our cells in our bodies which are nourished by healthy clean plant foods instead of eating junky uh sugars and processed foods and and meat and and animal foods that clog our bodies up. So um, it's, I, I've personally felt good about my plant-based diet. I've seen others' health improve significantly when they shift to a plant-based diet. And when you look at the science and the statistics and, you, and then you talk to medical experts, uh, it is clear that eating a whole foods plant-based diet improves our longevity and also improves the quality of our life. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and. Just to to give some scientific context, the uh, the Adventist Health Study. If anyone is interested, uh, and, and this is I, is I learned about this before the I read the blues the Blue Zones book, but uh, but that that seems to be one of the you know really kind of landmark health study, and it turned out showing that that the vegetarians and vegans among them uh, did actually live significantly longer. I, I don't know exactly the year's amount, but it's just a couple you know three four five years longer. 
Yes. And then there's a Framingham Heart Study out in Massachusetts yep. that's been finding the same stuff. And, and these are longitudinal studies that over time have, have proven this. And, and there's also lots of anecdotal evidence where you have individuals whose lives have been changed, who've lost sure. lots and lots of weight and they're feeling better. And it's, it's an exciting time because the evidence now, I think, is becoming clearer and clearer and, uh, and people are starting to make changes. All right, and the other side of this, uh, and this is this is kind of what uh, I, you know. I, it seems to me that your book is really the core of your book. It's not just about eating vegan because when we talk about health and and being vegan, we tend to think about eating, right? We tend, I mean, that's that's a, a very clear, obvious link to health is is how what we're putting in our bodies. Um, but but there's another side to this, and that is the way that you live and and what you um you know what you surround yourself with inc not, including not just people but animals and that is one of the points in the book that that you know is kind of driven home over and over by the photos of people with animals and i, I should mention by the way that all the pictures of animals that i which i really like is uh that they're all kind of positive happy animals it's not a bunch of animal cruelty photos which uh would not to me make for a very good book to have laying around your house on the coffee table i mean i suppose you could uh you could shock people that way, but uh, I, I would prefer to have something like this. Yeah. And uh, you know, so you mentioned in there that the way that uh, that being around animals can actually be good for us in a lot of measurable ways. And so, I'd like to hear you just kind of point out, like, like some of the specifics about that. But then, I'm also curious about your view on pets, because I know a lot of people who are vegan are are like you know the ones who are very pure vegan, uh, Peter Singer type. You know, I'm not well versed in the ethics, I, I will admit, but um, some of them are, are against having pets, and they say it's 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 no you know you don't want to um, confine animals. It's not the way they're meant to meant to live. So I'm wondering, is that something? And I personally have two dogs, by the way, so I'm I'm not uh, in that camp. But uh, I'm just curious, like because you, you talk about having pets, and, and obviously in the farm sanctuary situation, you're you're doing great things for these animals, and and you also happen to have them around to uh, enrich your life. But what but what do you think about pets in general? And but you can get to that after you uh, talk about the benefits first. Yeah, well, the way we relate to other animals says a lot about who we are as people. And there's research that shows that interacting with animals in a positive way actually benefits human health. It helps to reduce stress, for example, helps reduce things like loneliness. And in our world, you know, which is very fast moving and, you know, people are on the internet and running from thing to thing, place to place, sometimes we're not very mindful. We're not very much in the moment. And being with other animals, you know, cats and dogs, for example, in our homes helps to ground us and helps to um, improve our mindfulness and, and, and feel better and just feel more present. And there's research that shows this that we talk about in the book. And um, for me, being vegan ultimately is about what our relationship with others looks like. And the key question is, is it a relationship based on mutual benefit? Or is it a relationship based on exploitation? And if it's one based on the former of mutual benefit, you know, I think, you know, having cats and dogs in our houses makes sense, especially if we're getting these cats and dogs from shelters where they otherwise would have been killed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're dealing with a situation where there is an overpopulation problem of, of these animals and they don't have good places to go. So providing them with homes is good for the animals. And it's also good for people who then have these other personal health benefits and emotional health benefits. Now, in terms of farm animals, you know, they are in this country and, and around the world 
horribly exploited, horribly abused, and that is clearly a situation that is not of mutual benefit. It's one that is bad for the animals, and I would also argue, in fact, that it is bad for humans. And I have been to slaughterhouses. I have been to factory farms. I have seen the brutality there, and that is does something to the people as well who work in those places. You know, you walk into a, a factory farm, for example, and you see animals like pigs in these small metal cages where they're clanking against the bars to get out. They're screaming in misery. And working in a situation like that is very stressful. It is very uh, unhealthy for people. Um, you know, plus you're breathing in these noxious fumes from all the waste products. So it's a situation that doesn't do anybody any good ultimately. And, um, and it's something that when people hear about it, people don't like it. And, and people who experience it are negatively affected by it. So living well and being kind to other animals actually helps, I think, to bring out our humanity to sort of strengthen our own ability to empathize and have compassion for others. And, and it's a win-win. It's good for us. And, and studies have also, also shown that when there are positive interactions between humans and other animals, that the other animals' well-being is also improved. Huh. So when we live with others in a kind way, it helps everybody. And that's ultimately the message of the book. It's living in in alignment with our values, you know, because most people are humane and compassionate. And, and by living in alignment with those, we actually serve our own interests as well as the interests of other animals. Yeah, that's, that's really neat. Uh, and that's, that's the feeling that just that you get when you look through this book, um, this, this idea of, of just kind of compassion for, for animals, but, but that leading to more compassion elsewhere. And I think that's anecdotally, I've heard that so many times people go vegan and then say that even if they went vegan for health reasons, it sort of starts to make them become more compassionate, perhaps even beyond just animals. Like, yes, they start caring more about animals, um, even though they went vegan for health reasons, but then also become generally more compassionate people. Uh, and I think that's interesting. And I think there's there's no doubt also that, like you said, the opposite is true also, that people who work in these factory farm facilities kind of become desensitized and then and then have problems elsewhere in their lives as a result of, of this kind of weird desensitization desensitization uh when when it just doesn't seem natural like you i think you quoted in a book somewhere that 97 percent of americans agree basically that that animals should not be uh maybe you can help me gene the exact yeah they word. shouldn't be mistreated in these factory farms they should be protected from cruelty uh, you know but i but unfortunately most people are also unwittingly supporting that cruelty by buying animal products that come from factory farms the, the vast majority right of meat, milk, and eggs that are produced come from factory farms, and, and people oppose the practices used. So there's this disconnect yeah. between our concern about animals and our desire for uh, treating them compassionately, uh, and then our behavior collectively as a society. And, you know, one of the things we talk about in living the farm sanctuary life is to live in alignment with your values where you are not supporting an industry that is upsetting to you, that, that instead you're able to know where your food comes from and feel good about it instead of saying, don't tell me, I don't want to know, which is too often the, the, the case when it comes to these issues. Right. And, and it's, I mean, it's, it's clear that, that the uh, factory farm industry does what it can to, to keep that disconnect in place, right? I mean, they, they want to hide this thing. I mean, they, Absolutely. I, I remember Melanie Joy's book a while back, um, just basically asked like, where are all the cows? Like when you drive across the country and, and you know that 
these millions of cows every year are, are slaughtered. It's like, where, where are they? And it's just, you don't really see, I mean, yes, you see patches of them, sure. in big fields of them, but, but nothing like the number that, that there are somewhere kind of hidden. Um, that's, that's exactly right. And, and even more, the, the industry is now trying to pass these ag gag laws to make it difficult or illegal to be able to videotape and document and expose the conditions. So, they are actively looking for ways to prevent people from seeing what is happening inside of these factory farms. And that says an awful lot about the industry. Yeah. And I think that's a good argument for um, seeking out this stuff. Like if, if one side of this, this situation is working to hide this truth, then the other side of it, the people, you know, we probably should be actually putting in the effort to kind of discover what's going on and, and learn about it, which partly farm sanctuaries work helps with for sure. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm not someone who, who often or, or almost ever really writes about, uh, you know, things like animal cruelty and, and going, and I don't, I don't try to write about the bad things that are happening or show pictures of that, but on a personal level, like, yeah, like I went and watched Earthlings a long time ago and I've, I've read several books kind of just about what, what goes on. And I do think that's important for me personally. It was important in, in my decision to go from vegetarian to vegan, uh, just cause I started to discover that, that the problem went way beyond eating meat. Uh, so anyway, I, it's not something that I that I talk about or write about much, but I, I think absolutely it's kind of our uh, our duty, you know, being responsible to to learn what is going on when when someone else is trying to hide it. So anyway, yes, I think being responsible is important, and I think most people are humane, and you know, we're unwittingly supporting a bad system, and it's just right. a matter of becoming educated, you know, and aware, and then acting in a way that we feel good about and, and that we, we take responsibility for the consequences of our choices. And, um, and most people, I think, when they do shift away from eating animal foods and start eating plant foods, feel good. It's actually a very empowering experience. Sure. All right. So I'm, I'm wondering this book, as I, as I went through it, um, it, it just, it, it's a very sort of, I, I, I doubt you had Zen in mind when you, when you wrote it, but I, it just is kind of a feel good um i don't know book about compassion is that i mean th- this mindfulness this idea of of being around animals and and being mindful about what you're eating is that is that one of the themes for you this just <laughs> i don't know i mean i know it's hard to say no to this but um <laughs> i don't know can, can you talk about that a little bit just that side of it this this mindfulness side of it Sure, sure. Well, it really is about just human beings living well and and doing the best we can on this planet. You know, we're all imperfect. We all are going to make mistakes. We, But we can all learn and we can all strive to be better and to do better and to live in a way that we can feel good about. And so there are five tenets in living the farm sanctuary life. The first one and really the overarching one is to live in alignment with our values. So that we are not supporting an industry that is so horrible like the factory farming industry and also to live in alignment with our interests and to eat food that is good for us. Um, You know, the second tenet is to have a mindful relationship with other animals so that we're interacting in a positive way that benefits us and the other animals. Third tenet is to have a mindful relationship with our food and to be thoughtful and to eat food that nourishes us and and to be you know, take time to enjoy it instead of just wolfing down food without really thinking about it or where it came from or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Using food as a way to connect to the earth. Um, the fourth tenet is to eat plants for our own health. And numerous studies have shown that by eating whole plant foods instead of animal foods, we can improve our health. 
And the fifth tenet is to eat plant foods for the well-being of the planet. And the United Nations has talked about how animal agriculture is one of the top contributors to the most serious environmental problems. And there's lots and lots of data showing how a plant-based agriculture system is much more efficient, requires far fewer resources, is less polluting, and is better for our planet than an animal-based food system. And in fact, uh, animal agriculture is one of the top contributors to climate change. So, you know, we can have a huge impact by making more mindful decisions about our food. And that's really the the core of the book. And the goal is ultimately to empower people and to inspire people to live well. And if we can live well without causing unnecessary harm to other animals and without causing harm to the environment and to our own health, why wouldn't we? Sure. So kind of on the same note, um, who is this book for? I mean, the title is, is Living the Farm Sanctuary Life, um, which, which means it's going to appeal to people who know about farm sanctuary, of course. But for those who don't, I'm, I'm just like, is it, is it for people who want to become vegan or, or who you want to convince to become vegan? Or to me, it seems like a lot of it is, is really useful for someone who's already vegan. I mean, a lot of the recipes there are not just like, your basic first time vegetarian recipe. I mean, there's like a lot of really interesting, good food in there, uh, as well as lots of kitchen tips and things that just sort of, I don't know, I I was looking through and it's just like, wait, that's pretty neat. I should, I should probably get this book. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the book I think will appeal to farm sanctuary supporters and people who are vegan. As you say, there are a hundred vegan recipes in there from some of the nation's top chefs and cookbook authors. So there's some, some great food. And it also shows that being vegan can be interesting and the food can be tasty and satisfying and it's not like we're giving anything up. So it will appeal, I believe, to vegans and people who are curious about a vegan lifestyle. But I think it will also appeal to people who are just beginning to think about these issues and are a little bit concerned about their food and about our food system and the problems with it and are are just starting to stick their toe in the water, so to speak, and are maybe going to a farmer's market uh, once a week and and maybe want to do that a little bit more often, Um, want to eat food that is more nourishing. Um, And there are tips, like simple tips, to just get started on the path towards living the farm sanctuary life, things like participating in Meatless Mondays. Mm -hmm. So the book really is written for a wide audience, and it, it is seeking to appeal to a wide audience. And, you know, one of Farm Sanctuary's organizational values is we speak to people where they are on their own journey. So this book has information for people who are just getting started, as well as for people who have been longtime vegans and want to uh, hone their cooking skills, for example, or eat better food or healthier food and just continue down the path towards healthy plant-based living. Yeah, and and I like uh, what you you kind of touched a little bit on the meat this Monday thing. That is part of uh, a little section in the book that that is about taking small steps, uh, which I I was interested and happy to see because it you know a lot of vegans who who are so passionate about the ethical side um, and the and the you know not being cruel to animals, um, it, a lot of those people aren't aren't really into the small steps. You know they they want all or nothing, and I'm not faulting people for that. I understand that. Uh, that when you're that passionate about something, like, of course, yes, you want people to come all the way. Um, but I, I kind of like that you accept that the reality is that for most people, that's probably not going to actually happen or work. Um, so I don't know. Is that something that you – are you a, a fan of that? Because I'm certainly a big fan of this, this small steps approach to just about anything. Uh, is that something that you uh, are kind of consciously a fan of, or something that you promote? 
Yes, yes. I think incremental changes are ultimately the way big change happens society-wide. And, you know, it's occasion occasionally somebody will go from being a meat eater to a vegan overnight, but that's pretty rare. And most people will stop eating certain products they don't feel good about, such as for me, it was not eating veal from calves raised in these small crates. When I was in high school, I learned about that. And then it turned into me ultimately eating fewer and fewer animal foods and then becoming a vegan in 1985. And so I think many people change incrementally. There's small shifts. And what, what I found is that small shifts start leading to more shifts that start bringing momentum that can lead to big changes. And so I am a proponent of incremental change. In fact, that's another one of Farm Sanctuary's organizational values is that we believe incremental change uh, ah, is yeah. helpful. And, yeah. um, and so we, and, and we speak to people where they are. And, uh, and we also want to speak to people who are not vegan. We want to speak to people who are just interested and curious about these issues. And we want to do it in a way that engages them and encourages them to take steps instead of in a way that turns people off. Um, you know, we want to be effective. That, that is really the bottom line. And the goal is ultimately to encourage people to live well and to live in a way they feel good about, to live in a way that is healthy and doesn't cause harm to other animals, doesn't cause our planet to be destroyed the way our animal agriculture system destroys it. You know, what we're talking about really is a win-win-win. It's good for animals. It's good for the earth. It's good for people. It's good. You know, it's, we're not trying to put anybody down. We're really trying to inspire and encourage everybody to live and be their best selves. I love that. I mean, that is that to be so perfectly sums up uh, what it is that I that I like about Farm Sanctuary so much. And uh, I mean, it really says a lot about exactly what the way that I feel, you know, speak to vegans, uh, but also speak to people who aren't there. Understand incremental change is is necessary for almost everyone, maybe not quite everyone, but uh, that it's that it's a good thing, not a bad thing. Um, and, and meeting people where they are. It's, I love all that stuff so much. Um, so I'm, I'm really glad that you are out there spreading this message this way. No, well, thank you. And I love what you're doing as well. You know, it's, you know, we learn from each other. We help each other. We support each other in making positive steps. And I think that's how big change happens over time. And, and I think with what you're doing with No Meat Athlete, you know, showing that you can do well and, and perform these athletic feats on a plant-based diet is also helping to erode and challenge certain myths, you know, and beliefs about this idea that you need to have meat for protein or for athletic performance, for example. So um, I think we're all doing complementary work, and it's adding up, and big changes are starting to happen. Yeah, I think you're right. I think erode is a good word, too. I think it, it just – in the past – I mean, I've only done this – I've done this for six years, basically, since I first went vegetarian, um, and I didn't even become vegan until two years after that or so. But so it's only been, it's not been that long for me. But in that short amount of time, uh, I I have seen the effects of this erosion happen. I mean, you you can definitely tell. Particularly, you know, I do the thing with the sports, so I I see that often. Um, and and Rich Roll and Scott Jurek and Brendan Brazier. I mean, they're all helping and and just kind of taking little little uh, shots at this at this you know big misconception. Uh, but it's everywhere else too. I, I you just see it happening. All the people, all the blogs, all the books. So it just it, it appears that change is happening, and I think that's a fantastic thing. Uh, so, Gene, thank you very much for your time. This has been fun for me. Uh, I'm going to get this book. I, w I want to have it on my coffee table, and just my kids are really into the to the pictures of the farm sanctuary animals that we've adopted. 
So they will enjoy just looking at this and then reading about the little stories that are there about a lot of the different animals. Um, so anyway, for anyone who's interested, the book comes out April 7th, right? That's right. It's already available online, but it, the publication date is April 7th. Okay, so you can actually get it online if you go in there and order it. It'll That's come. correct. Neat. Yes. Okay, good. So it's called Living the Farm Sanctuary Life. Gene Bauer, uh, if you're listening to this and these things sound interesting, then please check it out. All right, Gene, thank you so much for your time, uh, and best of luck. We'll have to catch up soon. Great. Thanks very much, man. I really appreciate it. All right. Talk to you soon. I'll talk to you later. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye.